I'm Gab. He's Robbo standing in for Jules. Welcome aboard, Robbo. Thank you. You can join us. It's uh, cloudy skies and it's considerably colder in West London, although not as cold as Italy, of course. Frozen where, where, out of the yeah, World but Cup. Where is Jules? Ah, Jules is off on holiday. Another holiday. He needs his beauty sleep. Come on, man. Come on. Um, we have a full show for you, uh, nonetheless, viewers, because uh, wild stuff happening uh, around the world as, mm -hmm. as qualifying comes to an end, uh, or most of qualifying. Some are still going. But um, in Africa, heartbreak, heartbreak for, for Algeria. A lot of uh, drama there at the mm -hmm. end against Cameroon. Uh, Nigeria held at home. There are no Super Eagles at the World mm -hmm. Cup. Ghana going through. Well done to them. Uh, Salah missing a penalty in the replay. Senegal getting the best of them once again. We'll get into all that. Shout out to Peru as well. Mm -hmm. But we're going to start right here in Europe because it was the UEFA playoff path finals. Um, two of the three paths. Of course, the third path will be decided uh, later on. Let's start with Portugal and North Macedonia. Um, now, I'm just wondering going into this, obviously Portugal heavily favored yeah. on paper, um, just as Italy were heavily favored against North yeah. Macedonia. But I always wonder, with Fernando Santos, you always kind of feel like, do the pieces fit together? Does Portugal, I don't want to say they have a soft underbelly, because ultimately mm. they go through, but they do have this tendency to make life difficult for themselves. We saw that in the last game when they were firmly in control against Turkey. And then they gave up the, the penalty, which Borak Yilmaz skied over the bar. But, you know, that could have been a real turning point. Here against North Macedonia, I thought it was a more professional, more controlled performance. Yes, I would agree. I mean, the first 20 minutes, uh, I thought North Macedonia played better than they did against Italy at any stage in the game. They had more of the, the ball. Uh, Portugal had two chances probably in the first 30 minutes, which was a, a, a through ball for Ronaldo, which he made a complete mess of. And then Jota should have done better from a set play with a header. But once they scored that first goal, then they became professional. Then their senior players came to the fore. I thought they had a little bit more energy than North Macedonia. And North Macedonia, I think, had put all their efforts and energy into that game against Italy. And it was going to be difficult for them to reproduce that sort of defensive display. They did well, but not well enough. North Macedonia kind of gifted them that yes. first goal with the guy deciding to square the ball across the back. Um, what I found interesting was the ball then comes to Cristiano um, and three people converge on him. He's inside the box. There was a thing in my mind. I said, all right, you're Cristiano. You've made a miss earlier. Just, just the mind mm. of Cristiano, right? You're somebody who's not afraid of shooting, somebody who's not afraid of taking responsibility. Even though you've got three people converging on you, Maybe you'll run at somebody, you'll, tr you'll try to beat them, you'll try to win a penalty, or, or maybe you'll shoot mm. or whatever. Instead, and I give him credit, yeah, yeah. he puts the ball through the defender's legs mm. to Bruno Fernandes for the finish. I mean, that, that comes with experience that... I'd love to, no, 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 I'd love to say, I'd love to say that Ronaldo knew that it was Musliu who was coming across, that he played it through the legs of Musliu oh. on purpose. But oh. I think because the, the way the ball was for Ronaldo, it was in between his feet. So he was going to have to have another touch to move it to one side to get his shot away. And as he was closed down, I think he thought the best option was to play it back to uh, Fernandes um, in a 2v1 against Musliu. And he, it came off for him. It wasn't quite the perfect ball because he just had to slow his run down, oh, Bruno. But what Questioning Cristiano's nutmeg. Always questioning. Yes, you have to question. Uh, in the other game, uh, Sweden... Um, falling against Poland. Mm. This was interesting. And we sort of built it up as Lewandowski versus Ibra. Ibrahimovic obviously didn't, he didn't start. Mm. Uh, he did come on towards the end. We'll get to him in a minute. Um, but 
I was struck by the fact that Sweden, I thought, mm. had the upper hand, certainly in the first half. In the end, it was the penalty which Krakowiak won and Lewandowski converted, kind of sent them on their way. But it still felt like it was very much in the balance, to me at least, until the second goal. Absolutely. I think Sweden probably looked the better side. When you look at the stats, they had much more of the possession. I think they had two or three more chances. And the two goals that Poland got were both from slight errors uh, from, from Sweden. So I think it was a very tight game. Sweden had their moments. Chesney made a couple of good saves. But in the end, Lewandowski, Zielinski, the probably the top-class players, along with Kuliszewski, of course, but they were the top two top-class players on the pitch, and they delivered in the end. Yeah, you mentioned Chesney made a great save off of mm. uh, Emil Forsberg. Yeah. What I thought was interesting, I mean, Zielinski's goal coming to make a 2-0 came up sort of 20 minutes in the end. Mm. He still waited another eight minutes to send Ibrahimovic on. Mm. Now, I realise Ibra is the age that he is, I just wonder, when you're 1-0 down, I can kind of understand, all right, I'm not going to bring him in yet. I want to equalize and start thinking about extra time and will he last that long? Fine. But, but you've got to get point, to extra time. When you're 2-0 yeah, well, down, you've got to get to extra time. Precisely. I'm surprised Ibra didn't come in straight away once it was 2-0 down. I mean, maybe become predictable or whatever, but you still got to score two goals yeah. and Ibra can make something happen. And if you look at most goals that are scored in the last 20 minutes a game when teams are down, it's through crosses into the box and somebody winning a ball in the air. Well, who's better at winning a ball in the air than Ibrahimovic? So probably as soon as that second goal went in, you'd have sent him on. But it wasn't to be for Sweden. I think they were a bit unlucky in the end. No World Cup for Slatan. That's OK, Slatan. We'll see you in 2026 because you told us uh, you're only going to retire when you run into somebody better than you. And that's not going to happen for a while, is it? Robo, let's take a closer look at Portugal because mm. Jules, when he's here, loves to... Jules has a mean streak with certain managers, um, as Ronald Koeman will confirm. I think one of them is... The Dutchman, as he called him, wasn't he? The Dutch guy. The Dutch guy, yeah. One of them is Fernando Santos, um, because it feels like he has this array of riches in front of him in terms of talent. Mm. But the pieces often don't fit together the way they should. So Portugal, um, we're going to get to this in the in, in next segment, are likely to be seated, at, mm. uh, to be a top seed at the World Cup, which is good. Um, but equally, you always wonder whether, you know, they, they gutted their way through and won the Euros back in 2016. Mm. But since then, they kind of often made life difficult for themselves, yeah. which is how they got, obviously ended up here in, in the first place. And there's an accusation that Fernando Santos is so safety-first oriented, and that maybe he should be because he has all this attacking talent. Mm. Is this fair? Uh, on the couple of games I've seen of them in to, to get to the, to the World Cup finals, a uh, little bit unfair because there was a lot of rotation. Uh, there was a lot of attacking players uh, changing positions. There was a lot of the, both fullbacks were getting forward. Uh, he just had one holding midfield player in Moutinho in the in, in both games. Uh, he played a cent he played a centre midfield player at centre half in Danilo. Uh, so there was, and I thought they played some great attacking football. I mean, Cancelo was almost playing as a right winger. Uh, Otavio was coming infield. Uh, Bernardo Silva was changing his position all the time. They had a, a, a front three that were continually rotating. So. I think they played some very good attacking football and there was a lot of flair in their, in their style. So I wouldn't criticise uh, Fernando Santos on that uh, occasion. Is there a natural way for this team to come together? And what, what I mean by that is the, you know, you look at their front man, mm. right? If you're going to play, they play different formations, but 
obviously Cristiano's going to play. Mm. Obviously, I think you're going to want to find room for for Jota. Yeah. Because you know he's an aerial threat. As for, for being a little guy, he's an aerial yeah, threat. Yeah. And he's, and he's got the pace. And he's smart. And, yeah. he, and he has the pace, which Cristiano, obviously, at this doesn't phase of his days, career, yeah. doesn't have. But then you have to make choices. Does Bruno Fernandez fit? Mm. Um, he fitted. Um, he fitted in the uh, in that game. He scored he both goals. He did against Macedonia, yeah. obviously, because yeah. North Macedonia. You know, they're going to come mm. to defend, and you've got a ton of the ball. But against better teams, you know, and does he fit in? As part of the front three, do you turn mm. him wide? Do you put him in midfield? Do you, do you play him in the hole in some sort of four-two-three-one? He's tried so many different combinations. And the other thing is, where does Bernardo fit with Bruno? Like, did you, can you explain? Yeah, a no, bit? and we haven't even gotten to the world of Jean Felix either, you know. by the way. So, that, can you just talk a little bit, just as a coach, how that works? When on top of that, you also have ridiculously attacking fullbacks in mm. Jacques Cancelo and Nuno Mendes. And, you can't. If you just tell Joe Cancelo, "Hey, Joe, sit back and defend," mm. you're not going to get Joe, good no. Joe Cancelo, right? How does all this fit together? With a bit of difficulty, uh, I think the players were disciplined uh, the other day. Bernardo Silva was almost. I mean, going forward, not the other day. Like going forward, what do you do? Because you, you... I think he will go back to playing Danilo in central midfield. It probably means uh, Moutinho will come out the side. Right. And you've got Pepe and Ruben Diaz at the back, yeah. so you're okay. Yeah, I think you're okay there. Well, I, you're as okay as can be with a 40-year-old centre-back. was magnificent in the last game. So I'm, I'm, can he continue that to the World Cup? Let's hope he can. We will have an, a youngster like Joseph Font who's ready to come <laughs> in for him if Pepe slows down. But I think it can work. I mean, it's a good combination with Ronaldo and Jota up front. You've got one that's very good in the air, the other one that's good in the air, one that can still come and get shots away by just moving the ball, another one that can run in behind. You're right. Where do you play Bernardo Silva and Fernandez in the same side? Fernandez played on the right-hand side of a front three in the last game, and it worked quite well. And Bernardo Silva flitted in and around and, and came deep and got on the ball and made things happen. And of course, and then Otavio was playing on the right-hand side. It was very difficult to pin down where everybody was playing. So the players had to have discipline. When one went forward, another one had to, to come back into the side. He might have difficulty getting all those players into the side. It may be that he goes more defensive at the World Cup. That's what he's done in the past. Mm. And look, the World Cup is many, many mm. months away. Yeah. So we don't know what foreign people are going to come in. We don't know who's going to emerge. Maybe by that point, Joe Felix is going to be the best player in the world. We just, you know, which is why I'm making predictions mm. now is silly. So we're, mm. we're more talking about where teams are now versus mm. where they're likely to be. I do wonder a little bit. Um, if in some ways, despite what Jules says, maybe we haven't underappreciated Fernando Santos mm. in some ways, for the simple reason that it's true that they make mis- they make, mm. that this team is not well assorted, right? You've got a million yeah. attacking midfielder types. Yeah. At centre back, other than Ruben Diaz, you still have to go back to Pep mm. and, and Joseph Font, who you know both performing admirably, mm. but when they're that old something's wrong right yeah and I say this as somebody who won the Euros with Chiellini and Borucci who, yeah. <laughs> who, who are kids relative to Joseph yeah. Font and Pepe um, so when you've, you've got that and you have Cristiano who we've talked about it with United if you have Cristiano in your team there's certain things you're not going to be able to do mm-hmm. as effectively so you have to cater to that and then on top of that you have to cram in these other attacking players did you see what I'm saying yeah right? but I would say Portugal work to Ronaldo better than Manchester United do or some of the club sides do because I think they accept that Ronaldo is going to go where he wants to go. Fernando Santos says, yeah, yeah, you go and play, 
go go where you want to go. If you want to go wide, go wide. If you want to go through the centre forward position, go through the centre forward. And I just saw in the two games that there was a lot of rotation of positions, but it all has to fit around Ronaldo. So that's interesting. So if that's the case, right? If I'm Manchester United, mm. or I'm the higher ups who look at this and they say, "All right, so if it's about Kieran to Cristiano Ronaldo, can I get somebody to play the Jota part mm. alongside him at United?" Uh, it's not going to be Mason Greenwood, obviously, although maybe in some ways he might have had some of the characteristics. Mm-hmm. Is it Sancho? Is it Alanga? Is mm-hmm. it somebody like that? Um, Bruno Fernandes can play the Bruno part. Mm-hmm. And then Pogba plays the Bernardo Silva part. Mm-hmm. And Bob's your uncle, right? Yeah. And then but there's not Aaron Juan Bissaka plays the Joaquin Cello part, and you're done. <laughs> there's not too many coaches that want to allow one player to dictate right. how the team plays. You know, most coaches come with a game plan. This is how I want to play. And then, ah, I've got Ronaldo in the team. He's not going to do what I want him to do. You know, that's the problem. Well, a word on Poland, um, because they obviously they, they, they changed their manager um, mm. you know, during the qualification, obviously, uh, after the Euros with Paulo mm. Sozo moving on. So much of the focus is on is on Lewandowski. Um, you really like Zelensky. I'm wondering a little bit about Lewandowski's adjustment to playing for Poland versus playing for Bayern. So playing in a team where you have this pressing monster behind you and, and Thomas Muller, you've got continuous service from the wings. It's not necessarily going to be like that. No, with the absolutely not. When he plays for Poland... He has to do a lot more work to try and get hold of the ball. He's having to play with his back to goal more often than not because Poland are going to be playing much deeper. They're not they're not going to get so much support to him. They're not going to control the ball quite as much against Sweden. They had less of the ball. I think they only had uh, 43% of the ball. So, And he's not always going to get the ball in the box. So he's going to have to do the things he did when he was at Dortmund as a youngster, when he's making runs down the side of defenders, when he's having to hold up play. Yeah, when he was uh, 10 years younger. When he was 10 years younger, yeah. which is always going to be difficult for him. So well, I don't think you're ever going to see the best of Lewandowski when he's playing for Poland. Do you think he'd be better off playing in a two? Um, I think Perhaps if, if Milik is fit. Yeah, yeah. Um, which obviously Milik unavailable for this game. Well, we saw that at the Euros in 2016 when Lewandowski played up front with Milik, I think it was. Um, and it didn't quite work. They didn't play particularly well together. And he, he probably had one of his worst tournaments, Lewandowski. Uh, but is that because he was playing with Milik or...? I think that Poland weren't a particularly good team. They couldn't get the ball into the front players enough. Um, so I feel sorry for Lewandowski when he's playing for Poland because we're not probably going to see the best of him. He's going to have to take any chance that comes his way, he's going to have to score. Right. Again, I remind everybody, all this hypothetical, it doesn't matter what you're doing now, it matters how you're, what shape you'll be in mm. in eight months' time. All right, enough, Cristiano. Let's talk about the draw. Mm. Um, many Italians won't be there. This Italian will be. In fact, I'm catching a flight uh, in a few hours. Is that why we're recording this at six o'clock in the morning? We're recording this at stupid o'clock, uh, as I like to say. Uh, but um, out there in in Doha, I, I mean, I think this World Cup is going to be unlike any other because mm. you've got eight stadiums. For those who haven't been to Qatar, essentially, it's one city. Okay, the the the, the mm. whole country is one yeah. city. There's other dots on the map, but they're like gas stations. Okay, so and they've crammed eight stadiums in there. Um, the draw is going to be a little bit different um, in the sense that apparently they're going to do this all by FIFA rankings. So they're going to make Qatar as a host nation will be one of the top seeds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people say, oh, how is it possible because Qatar are rubbish? Well, you're not very good. But you know what? Russia weren't very good either. No, no. South Africa. If you're the host nation, you get to be a top seed, right? 
deal with it. Didn't Russia do quite well in the end? But they weren't good. No, they weren't good. No, they, they quite really well in weren't the end. good. In the end, yes. And let's not ask too many questions there. Um, the rest is going to be done by, 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 by the uh, FIFA rankings. Mm. As of right now, these are the top seven nations yeah. in the FIFA ranking. Okay, Belgium, Brazil, France, Argentina, England, Spain, and Portugal. I should point out, these are the top nations that are going to the World okay. Cup because there's other nations that are higher ranked and are not going to the World Cup and they play in blue and won four World Cups. But let's not talk about And a European that. championship. And a, very recently. Very recently, Two yes. European championships mm. in total, in fact. Um, <clears throat> now, this could change. Portugal might not be a top seed because they're going to go with the FIFA ranking, uh, which comes out on May 31st. Mm. I haven't gone and worked out all the permutations. Could they lose it? FIFA ranking is a bit complicated. Um, but for argument's sake, let's pretend they're a top seed. And we've already spoken about Portugal. So let's focus on the on the other six. My first obvious question is, is there an obvious favorite for you out of, the, out of those six? Uh, no, there isn't an obvious favorite. On paper, I still always look at France and the players they've got and the quality they've got and the fact that they've done it before, that they should be the favourites because I think they're an outstanding side. But we saw at the European Championships them go off the ball slightly, not play to their full potential. Do they have an outstanding manager? Because I, I'm always critical of Deschamps because yeah. of the way he plays and I don't think he plays yeah. to strengths. I think but they, then he won a World Cup and I didn't. Yeah. So. In fact, they, he won two because he won one as a player as well. I think they could be more adventurous. I think they... For the would they be better if they were more I adventurous? I think they would be, yes. And they had a bit more freedom to go and play. I think they've been too negative uh, for too long. When you've got the sort of players they've got in their side and you've got the quality of Conte as a holding midfield player, you can go and let other players express themselves. And I don't think he does that quite enough. And that's maybe one of the reasons why they don't always fulfil their potential. Um, yeah, I, I would agree with you that I would mm. put France up there. For me, I think um, Brazil and Spain mm. also belong. I mean, if we are yep. going to make a top tier of top seeds. Mm. Um, I mentioned Brazil because I think they play like a club side. Yeah. And, and that's really special for a national team. I, I think it's true to some degree with, uh, with France as well, to be fair. Mm. Although... Brazil play like a better club yeah. side, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, the way they press uh, and and the way they move and is it a big deal? Perhaps that they don't have a superstar centre forward. Uh, I think it's it's good for them. They can they are a good team at the moment. They as you say they press the ball well. They play as a team. They've got some outstanding individuals, but not the greatest individuals. Uh, and at centre, well, that, they have yes. Neymar. Yeah. So so easy there. Mm. Yeah, mm, okay. I, I, I'll still All go. Right. I'll still go to. They've got some very good players. Okay, not great players. Um, and they had such a good qualification. They've got to be one of the favourites, surely. And what's your take on Spain? I really enjoyed watching Spain at the uh, Nations League finals. I thought they were outstanding. It was Italy's first loss. I'm oh, sorry to bring that up again. Yes, um, they played really well. Some of their young players, you know, when you look at Pedri, Gavi, uh, Ferran Torres, is coming to the fore now. Um, they're a good side and they play a good brand of football I think they look well organised I think the manager's got them playing the way he wants them to play and they are going to be tough to beat and on their day they're going to be a side that completely dominate possession and make the opposition look foolish at times so they're a side that uh, have to be reckoned to So a bit of a Morata dependency not Morata dependency because he's so good and he carries them Morata dependency because you know he's given him the captain's armband at mm. least for now I, he seems to really like what Morata brings but we know with Morata, we saw it at the Euros, that 
<laughs> Sometimes he can have a touch of the Chiro Immobilis. I, 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 could, I could say about Morata, I've seen him have probably the three best centre-forward um, performances I've ever seen in, a, in, in, in games when he was playing for Juventus the first time around. Uh, but I've also seen him play absolutely shockingly for Chelsea and for Spain on occasions. So if his confidence is high... He's a great player. If his confidence is low, you might as well get him out of the team. Ex-pros always talk about confidence. I don't get it. Um, I'd like people to be mm. more stable. But uh, anyway, those are our three standout mm. teams. But on the Gab and Jules podcast, we'll discuss the other top seeds. Uh, Belgium, Argentina, England, and that's it. Because we already talked about Portugal. And maybe a bit of cutter. All right. So are we in broad agreement that Brazil, France, and Spain are a notch above the others? Yes, Okay. Yep. And then after that, you were telling me earlier you really liked Cutter, and they were probably your fourth favourites for win the World Cup. Well, Pass. I have to say that because <laughs> in 1981, uh, I was playing for the England under-20s at the World Cup, and we got to the semi-final and played Qatar. And I didn't lost. even realise Qatar had football in 1981. And uh, we lost in the semi-final. Apparently... Uh, or should I say this? Most of their players were, were overage. It was worked out by uh, coaches later on. But is it? Did some say this is always something that, like you know, European coaches say when they lose the teams from? It, well, it, our coach went out to Qatar after that tournament and realised that the players playing were all uh, slightly too old. Well, how did he find out? Because he was he was managing some of them. Oh right, <laughs> <laughs> all right, fair enough. Different era, yeah. Uh, Forty years ago. All right, we'll leave Cutter to one side. Honestly, I haven't seen no. enough of them. Um, essentially, they've effectively. I mean, they were in the Asian qualification mm. to kind of make up the numbers, and because it was mm. qualification, qualification for the Asian Cup. But I genuinely haven't seen enough to no, be able I, to to evaluate where they are and, and so on. Um, Portugal, we've touched upon the strengths and weaknesses. So let's talk Argentina, England, and Belgium. Who is next up for you? I'm going to go with England. Um, They keep getting results. They've got a whole host of players that they can now play. The squad is massive. Uh, I'm not a great fan of Gareth Southgate introducing player after player after player. I think he's used so many players since he's been the manager. But they... They keep coming in and doing quite well. So the squads can get bigger and bigger and bigger. And there's a lot of quality there. We saw at the European Championship, they got to the final. They didn't always play well in every game. Um, no, I think they mostly play badly yeah, in most games. But they, but but they yeah. still got to the semi-final of the World Cup. Yeah. They got to the, to the final of the European Championships. And on both occasions, I think the coach let them down in the, in the, in the big games. He got the tactics wrong against Croatia, and it was obviously that Croatia were going to get uh, dominance in the wide areas and keep getting crosses into the box where he should have changed it. And when they were one 0 up against Italy with a with a fervent crowd, they completely lost their way and allowed Italy to dominate the game. It, it's interesting because we've Southgate is a phenomenally likable yeah, person, he and he's a good guy, and he's, he's he comes across as a humble person yeah, as well. I'm sure. I I am imagining him sitting there and reviewing things that mm. went wrong and when you've got a guy who's willing to do that mm. i'm also wondering whether you know the, 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 it's a learning experience mm, whether course. maybe we don't see these same mistakes mm. next time around so that yeah. you know, maybe you don't need a black uh, a, a back three and two defensive mm. midfield you know maybe there's other ways maybe sometimes mm. you put your faith in people that you shouldn't put your faith in maybe you should yeah. have you, 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 you yeah, no, like, I, I there are lessons yeah. to be learned. So if we believe there is a learning curve, 
there's no reason Southgate needs to make the same some of the same mistakes if we think and that's, the mistakes that's, that he's made in the past. When you, when you have a young manager or an inexperienced manager, which Southgate was, he'd been at Middlesbrough, but that was his main job. Then he'd been a, a director of football for the FA and under-21 manager. If you have young managers, they're always going to make mistakes because you know that, that's, the, that's the nature of a young manager. But then you have to let him get over those mistakes, learn from them, and hopefully improve. And hopefully for England, Gareth Southgate will do that. We talk about inexperienced managers. Here's somebody who's even less experienced, uh, Lionel Scaloni, in mm. terms of club experience, national mm. team experience. He kind of took over on an interim basis after the San Paoli disaster. Mm. And boom, here's this incredible run of success with, uh, with Argentina. I'm slightly confused here because we were all saying, like, or so many people were saying, oh, look, you know, Argentina don't produce those great nasty defenders. You know, where have you gone, Walter Samuel and Dan mm. Daniel Passarella and whatnot? Uh, and up front, you can't fit Messi and, and well, Aguero's gone and Dybala. But, you know, like, these pieces don't fit together. But they've played really well. They've gotten points. Messi... You know, maybe a wild card, but it seems like this team isn't as reliant on no. Messi as they were before. No, I mean, they were reliant on him because he was the world's best player at that time and he was the player that could run past people with the ball. And he's probably saying yeah. he's still far and away Argentina's best player. Of but, but it's, he's a different sort of player. Right. He has to play that little bit deeper. He has to pick out passes rather than actually run with the ball. And other players have to make runs off, of the, off the back of him. So they are a slightly different team. He's a different player. Uh, and hopefully we see the best of him, not in terms of running with the ball, but he, he could become the best passer of the ball in the World, in the world Cup because he's still got vision and, and quality on the ball. Um, Belgium and mm. Roberto Martinez. Belgium yep. are the number one ranked team in the world. Mm. The drill on Belgium is always the same. Oh, ha, ha, ha. Let's all laugh at their, at their old, slow defenders. Mm. And Roberto doesn't defend enough and blah, blah, blah. Mm. They get overrun. And yet, they've got to be doing something, right? Because they're always there. Yep. And, you know, people can be critical of Belgium. But even at the Euros, with all of Belgium's foibles and... You know, they got to the quarterfinals. Italy outplayed them. That was yeah. I thought maybe that was possibly Italy's best performance in the tournament. And the best game of the tournament as well. Yeah, exactly. So that's what it took to knock yeah. out Belgium. Yeah, yeah. There's one... Th Should we be giving a little more respect? Yes. There's one thing missing from this Belgium team. Just one. Just one. And that's Edin Hazard. When Edin Hazard was at his best, two or three years or three years ago... Belgium, that's when they became the number one team because he was the player that when the ball came into him, he could turn defence into attack immediately with turning, running with the ball. He was the, I thought he was their key player. We haven't seen him play for two years at Real Madrid. He hasn't played for Belgium particularly well in those two years. So that's the one. If he could get back to top form, which I don't think he will do by the time the World Cup comes round, if he could get back to top form, Belgium would be right up there. But even if he doesn't, mm. even if he doesn't get back... Still, Tielemans, yeah. De Bruyne, yeah. Lukaku back to his best, which yeah. again, may or may, that's another mm. one. That, but, you know, it's not like Lukaku's mm. terrible right now. No. He's just not where he was. No. Plus Thibaut Courtois. I mean, in terms of individuals, yeah. those are four guys who I think are in the top five in the world yeah. in their positions. I right? still would say they're in the top six, and, they, and that's why we picked them out, in top, top six nations in the world. They quarterfinal to semifinal, I think, will be um, where they'll end up. And that's why they're the top seeds. Um, all right. 
it's brief mini preview for you ahead of the ahead of the draw. The draw is on April Fool's Day. I can imagine people making all these jokes. Ha <laughs> ha, FIFA, April Fool's Day. Yuck, yuck, yuck. All right, so I'll leave you to it's a preview of the sophisticated humor we'll be hearing, Robbo. Oh, absolutely. All right, enough of all that. Uh, how about some quick hits? Always enjoy the quick hits. Lightning strikes twice, Robbo, as Senegal beat Egypt 1-0 in the second leg of their playoff. Um, and it finished, of course, 1-0 uh, to Egypt in the, the first leg. The game went into extra time, into penalties. We've seen this film before. And then Mohamed Salah misses from the spot to send Senegal to the World Cup. Well, at least he had a well chance of taking Mane's a penalty yeah. this time. Oh, are you going to be one of those people's all about, oh, why, why your best penalty? No, no, I'm not going to say that, but I said at least he did have a chance to take a penalty and he didn't take it very well, of course. But I think Senegal, uh, I thought Egypt would win the game or certainly go through after that first leg. But it wasn't to be. Senegal, again, got the job done and won on penalties. So it's a, and I think they're a very good side. Yeah, I think Senegal just a better team. Mm. I mean, Egypt more enterprising I yeah. thought, than I thought they would be, actually. I yeah. thought they might just even be more defensive. Mm. Um, that wasn't entirely the, the the case. Big controversy over the laser pointer. You ever taken a penalty with a laser pointer shining I've in your face? I've never taken a penalty, so let alone with a with laser pointing at me. But I don't Not even it, at youth, the youth level? Uh, I, at youth level, I took. But, uh, yeah, I don't think you're going to get lasers at youth level. Mm. Um uh, is it a problem to the players? I don't, I've never had a laser put in my face. I don't know whether you know it's there or whether you don't, but it shouldn't really upset you taking the penalty. I mean, you've got to be focused, you've got to be concentrated and make sure you score. Laser focused. Mm. Now, Ghana draw one all with Nigeria and thanks to the away goals rule are also going to the World Cup, Gab. Thomas Partey's early goals sent them on their way. Yeah, I know this is big. They call it the the, the Jolliffe uh, mm. Derby and yuck, yuck, yuck. Obviously, they're mm. neighbors. Big, big rivalry. Um, I thought goalkeeper didn't cover himself no. in gory on Partey's shot. I don't mm. know. I mean, yeah, yeah. And then Nigeria win the penalty. Um, they equalize. It's. I think it's harsh. I mean, if the fans really upset, it's harsh to go out on the mm. away goals. Well, I know those are, that's the rule, and they know the rule ahead of time. And, you know, now we don't have the away goals rule in the Champions League, so now we're in that mindset. Mm. I, I thought there was very little to separate these mm. two sides. But, but it's a disaster, really, isn't it, for Nigeria? They spent all this money, there's a bit, lot of funding for the, for the World Cup and all the things that are going on there. Major disaster. You know what? I'm inviting the Super Eagles. Why don't you come and uh, join Italy? We'll find something to do in November. <laughs> There's other teams that are staying home. It's not just us. Why not? Right? Well, we'll invite Slatan along too. Yeah. He yeah, he'll be off that time yeah. of year. Louis van Gaal is in the headlines again, Robbo, because he said that Eric Ten Hag is a great coach, but maybe he shouldn't go to Manchester United because they're, quote, a commercial club, not a football club. Robert, what's he talking about? Does it make sense to you? Uh, not really, yes. Manchester United like to make money. They like to be a commercial club. But to be a commercial club and make money, you've also got to do well on the field. So I think there's uh, Manchester United want to do both. Ten Hag, if he went there, would have a very difficult job because he's got to do what several managers haven't been able to do and galvanise a team, get them to play at their very best, get quality players in the right sort of players in, get a team spirit, get a game plan that works and get the best out of all those players. Uh, Four or five managers haven't been able to do it. Would he be able to do it? I'm not sure. I, my big thing with Ten Hag, and people need to remember this, is he's done great things at Ajax, but mm. Ajax are Ajax. Mm. And at Ajax, he had a tremendous structure above yeah. him from Edmund mm. van der Sar to 
over Mars, who mm. before being dismissed and rightly so, um, you know, did a great job. Yeah. Um, does he have that strong visible structure above mm. him? That's a lot of pressure on Murta and, and and Fletcher, who mm. I guess will be sort of the technical director and, and football director at that level. It'd be a tough job. Uh, now, Gab, there was a, a wild finish in the playoff game between Cameroon and Algeria. Cameroon will be going to the World Cup, and I guess they lived up to their nickname. Well, their nickname, of course, is the Indomitable mm. Lions. Um, Not easy to say that, is it? Indomitable? Yeah. No, say it. Uh, yeah, say no, it. No, no, Indomitable. No. There, there we go. go. Yeah, close. Um, like, this was huge because Algeria, obviously, they won the AFCON, not this last one, but two AFCONs ago. Mm. Um, Belmadi... He put on this incredible streak of 35 mm-hmm. consecutive, uh, 35 games without defeat, too yeah. short of the world record held by Italy. Um, and then things didn't go right for them at the AFCON. And, but the first leg, they went away, right? They mm-hmm. went away 1-0. And you figure, right, we won 1-0 against Cameroon. Let's get, you know, mm-hmm. let's get the party rolling again. Let's get things going again. And then, you know, they, they give up the goal after 20 minutes. It goes into extra time. They put in all this effort. Two minutes from the end... Algeria scores. It's 1-1. They're through. And then fourth minute of extra time. Toko uh, Kambi, the, the Leon forward, with the winner. It is such a heartbreaker for Algeria and such drama for Cameroon. And Algeria are a better team than Cameroon, aren't they? Should be. Should be. There's broad agreement between the European Club Association and UEFA on what the Champions League will look like after 2024. We've got the Swiss model. They've got the new version of FFP, which is called the sustainability Mm. something. Um, There's one thing that they don't quite know yet. Those final two spots. Mm. So they're going from 32 to 36 teams. Um, One of those teams, one of those extra spots will go to effectively the fourth place team in France or mm-hmm. whichever team is whichever league is fifth could be Portugal even mm-hmm. um, the other one is going to go to the champions of another nation fine but then those last two spots do you award them on historical merit which you can't is, do I don't think you can you, it's just protecting the big clubs again isn't it surely that's not what you want you want the best teams from the previous year to be playing in the Champions League so just to say, well, you know, uh, Arsenal have had a, uh, over the years, have had a great, uh, you know, record in the Champions Manchester United have had a great record. And so they came, but there is also, don't they say, if they come near the Champions League positions, that was the, that was the sentence just after it. It's TBD, it's yeah. about if they at least qualify for the Europa League. What they don't want to have is teams leap, leapfrogging other teams. So like, you know, West Ham finishing fourth, United finishing fifth. Why not? What? But surely, surely, if West Ham West Ham finish off better than Manchester United, they should be in the Champions League. No, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, so, so they want to avoid that situation where United get the leapfrog and somebody yeah. loses their spot. Yeah. So you can't have that. Uh, there'll be more discussion. Also from the ECA meetings, President Nasser Al Khalifa says he's not concerned about the Super League because it doesn't exist and never will exist. Gab, is he right to be so confident? He actually goes out, he calls it the non-Super League. Mm. Uh, his, his friend, uh, UEFA president, Alexander Cheffering, calls it the uh, not-so-Super League, uh, as you can see. Like, you know, yeah. neither one should give up their day job. Uh, <laughs> they're not script writers, are they? But he's very confident. He's pointing out that, mm. oh, yeah, these teams, they don't like us, but they're here. I, this is going to be decided by the courts, ultimately. Mm. If they decide that UEFA can't be competition organizer and regulator all at once, um, then... I think there's going to have to necessarily be a different landscape. Mm. Um, but it does seem to me that the only real threat those three Super League clubs have right now yeah. is legal action. 
um, I see no movement from the others to come out and say, oh, yeah, Florentino and Laporta and Agnelli, yo, we all agree with you. You know, let's continue to put pressure. Julian Lopetegui has reportedly told Sevilla that he won't be pursuing the Manchester United job because he wants to manage a football club, not a commercial club. No, just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> Louis van Gaal hasn't gotten to Julian just yet. Um, Robbo, he wasn't a favorite for the job, um, but if true, does it? Can you Could you understand why he would want to stay in Seville rather than go to United? Uh, he probably knows he isn't going to get the Manchester United job. As you said, he's not the favourite. Maybe he's just looking for a better contract at Sevilla. I mean, he's done a good job at Sevilla. They don't play... I've been surprised they don't play wonderful football. They got, obviously got knocked out by West Ham in the uh, Europa League. You but, know what? You sound a little bit like back in 2015 when Chris Rock mocked Jada Pinkett for boycotting the Oscars when he said you wouldn't have been invited anyway. Yeah. That's what you sound like right now. Yeah. Just to warn you. Yeah, I mean... <sighs> Mrs. Lopetegui could be walking in that door any minute. Yeah, of course, I could get a whack in the face, <laughs> couldn't I? I, I? No, I don't think Lopetegui would have been favourite to get the job in any way. He's a good coach, uh, but he, he's got his flaws. Um, I think he, 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 he showed that when he was manager of Spain, didn't he? And he told everybody that he was going to be the Real Madrid manager just before the uh, start of the yeah, World Cup. Yeah, I'm not going to hold that against him. I think a lot of that is down mm. to agents and the people behind yeah. him, obviously. Tight relationship with mm. George Mendes, among yeah. others. I think Lopetegui's... A really, really good coach, but yep. again, somebody who's always kind of had a strong structure behind him yep. when he's been at his best. Is he um, a good man manager? He looks as though he could fall out with people very easily. Well, but that's why the strong structure behind yeah. him is important, right? Mm. Uh, I've touched upon this a million times. At United, I think one of the shortcomings has been that, you know, they have Murta um, and Fletcher in this sort of director of football, mm. sporting director type role. At other clubs, a big part of that is A, being a public face, but also B, working with the players individually, mm. keeping the players happy, you know, doing the, the mm. psychological man management, yeah, the pastoral yeah, yeah. care of players. If you look at what, you know, people like Maguire and Rashford, now, maybe they have worked on it and they can't help them, and that's why Maguire and Rashford have gone the way they have. Mm. Um, that, to me, is, is, is a question mark. But I think Lopetegui, without a strong structure behind him like he has with, with Monchi at Sevilla, um, or obviously like he had earlier... I think that becomes problematic and that may be also part of the reason why things didn't work out for him at Real Madrid. Now, bidders for Chelsea have been granted the opportunity to meet Marina uh, Granovskovia. Is that how you say it? Granovskaya. Granovskaya. And Thomas Tuchel ahead of the deadline to submit improved bids on April the 11th. Gab, what does this all mean? <laughs> this is slightly PR. I mean, first of all, Marina and Thomas Tuchel mm. aren't going to be the ones deciding. So I guess the idea is you come in, you meet Marina Granovskaya and Thomas Tuchel, you assess, ooh, these guys are really good, let me bid an extra $100 million. Is that how it works? I mean, I have no idea if Marina is going to stay, is going to want to stay mm. once Roman Abramovich moves on. Maybe she's had enough or, yeah. or whatever. Tuchel is a coach. I, presumably, you assess him, he's got a contract. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think it is some PR, and I think it's going to create some more visibility for these people, which I think is good because, you know, Chelsea fans don't want to be blindsided by mm. them. Um, we'll see how this process goes. I'm still skeptical about the April 11th deadline. Uh, April 18th is when the government's going to get mm. involved and start talking licenses. The one thing I go back to is, remember how this was all supposed to be a quick sale? It's not going to be that. It's it? not going to be that. And also, some of the news that has emerged about Roman Abramovich, um, you know, where we're... The Ukrainian president has said that, yes, he's he's trying to mediate. He's working for peace. Um, uh, and then 
the Wall Street Journal report that he was poisoned. We don't know by who, but let's just say there's one country that has been accused of poisoning people they don't <laughs> like in the past. I'm just wondering if all of this is setting up to something where maybe they go back and say, hey, maybe we shouldn't be so hard on him. Maybe he's trying to do the right thing now. You know, mm-hmm. um, Maybe we've kind of scapegoated him because most of us haven't heard of the other oligarchs, whereas we've all heard about him. Yes. I genuinely don't know. But I think there's a tremendous story. Um, and I thought you knew everything. No, not in this case. Denmark beat Serbia 3-0 in a friendly by Robbo. It's all about Christian Eriksen scoring on his return to the Parkin, the same stadium, of course, where he collapsed in that European Championship. Absolutely. Game. First of all, what a great result it is for Denmark. They're getting better and better. But for Eriksen, it was a great night for him. The reception he got, the awards he got before the game. Uh, I think it was his 111th cap for Denmark. And the goal, I mean, he found himself on the left-hand side, cut onto his right foot, deceived the goalkeeper, bent it back into the near post. It was a great goal. He got standing ovation. The noise was incredible. It was a great night for him. I, I, I know you're very impressed by the mm. 111th cap, but for me, it's all about... Ericsson himself said that mm. he died for 15 minutes, mm. right? Yeah, yeah. He's going back, playing for his country in the same circumstances, to the place where he died. I cannot imagine... No. What goes through I your head? I, I can't how imagine you cope with how, it. how you play any game, let alone a, 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 an international at the same place. Because, you know, as you said, he was dead. It must be a real worry when you're playing. But he's obviously overcome that, and fair play to him. Excellent. Gab, I won't ask you about how Italy uh, at the World Cup, since they're not going, but how do you think they looked against Turkey with some new players up front, youngsters up front? Yes, uh, he went with the front three of uh, Zagnolo, uh, Scamacca, yeah. Raspadori. Uh, Italy ended up winning 3-2 in the driving rain. Mm-hmm. Um, some big blunders from Donnarumma uh, as well in that match. Uh, in fact, blunders from both sides. Like, mm. I, I'm high on them. I think we need, mm. Italy should be playing the kids and mm. be thinking looking forward. And I think Raspadori especially is a special player. I think Scamacca... I don't know if he's just a big guy who scores a lot of goals, but at least he's big and he has energy. Zaniolo, is, can he recover from those injuries? I think he has a He's moment. had his moments. Mancini said, you know, he needs to put the team first, blah, blah, blah. I'm all for the team first. I also like individuals who beat guys and make things happen against packed defences. I think mm. Zaniolo, a fit Zaniolo could have come in very handy, yeah. um, you know, just creating overloads and whatever against North Macedonia. But I don't want to dwell on North Macedonia because it's the past. What I will say is... This is a game neither Turkey nor Italy genuinely yeah, wanted to how play. Could you, how could you play Half that the game? guys went home after that. Yeah. Driving rain. There's only so much you're going to learn about it. Barcelona reportedly opening talks with Usman Dembele to try to persuade him to stay. Now they have a plan B, which is Leeds United's Rafinha. Talks are very much underway. There's even talk of an agreement in principle. Mm-hmm. There's a plan C, which is churning Adama Traore's loan into a permanent deal Mm -hmm. all of this is subordinate to them finding the money because obviously they somehow have a negative salary cap uh which means they're going to have to you know cut costs or increase revenue Mm -hmm. some of that will happen organically i think but of those three purely from a football perspective Mm -hmm. leaving money aside can you rank them for the benefit of barcelona fans uh well at the moment rafinha has been the most consistent player over the last couple of years he's a player that can do most things you want from a, a front player wide player can run with the ball he can score goals he's got a great uh, shot on him uh, makes good decisions so that's the guy you would take out of the three I would Dembele really, Genie comes out of lamp and says Robbo you can have any of these three people you would take Rafinha over Dembele because Dembele do you, do you think he's going to be consistent we've had 
two years. If he had, of course, he's had injuries. He was booed only uh, yeah. eight weeks ago by, by, the, by, the, by the interesting. By, yeah, by the Barcelona, and uh, and Traore. As much as I love seeing him play at times, and he looks unstoppable. You only see that every so often, and he's a frustrating yeah. player. And he looks as though he's going to get a chance. He does a good, one good it, game, and then he's sub again the next week, and, and he comes on and does quite well. And then he starts a game and doesn't do quite it, so well. It's also weird with Traore about how Adama is a guy who actually, you know, he grew up, came yeah, through yeah. the ranks at Barcelona, yeah, obviously yeah. before going away. Um, <laughs> he just doesn't look like a Barcelona player. Well, I saw him play as a, like as a bar- Barcelona youth player when, he, when it was the. Uh, did he look like a Barcelona player? In those days, he did because the. He hadn't developed as he had gotten those ridiculous biceps. But he, all he did, he stood on the right wing and they, they played that sort of football where they, uh, you know, passed it well in short areas and then big switch of play. Then his pace, 1v1, caused oh, all right. sorts of problems. And he, he did that in the UEFA uh, youth, youth league. league. And he was excellent. Now. Shoot out, uh, shout, shout out, out shall I say, shout out to Tunisia and Morocco, who will also be going to the World Cup after overcoming Mali and Congo, respectively. Gab, how are they doing, Qatar? So, Morocco, they were six out of six in World Cup qualifying. Mm. Um, I think I think they have a chance to go through the next round mm. uh, on, on, on paper. I mean, I don't think this is a bad squad. Mm. Um, they have some great individuals. Uh, Ashraf Hakimi, obviously, best yep. one. I'm pretty sure the Ziyech ship has sailed but maybe he'll change his mind between mm-hmm. now and november i don't know um but uh tunisia yeah i think like they deserve to be there mm-hmm. and uh but i think it's going to be real tough for them I, I don't know that they necessarily have um the strength i think there's somebody you would expect to not make it to the next mm-hmm. one. I, I said it i haven't seen enough of them but from what i've seen in these two legs i think they were perhaps lacking a little bit of quality in the front areas. Yeah, I'd say midfield perhaps too. Uruguay beat Chile 2-0 and we see an overhead kick from none other than Luis Suarez and a tremendous goal uh, laid on from Fede Valverde. Robo, they're revitalized since the arrival of Diego Alonso. Absolutely. They were struggling. It looks like they were going to go out the World Cup. They made the change of manager. He's come in. He's revitalised them. They're playing some good football. Uh, he's got some good players in the team. They've still got the old players like Godin still playing at centre-half. But you, you and I, I think, both really like uh, Bentancur in midfield. I think he's the key to the, the way they play. Uh, Torreira was playing the other night, who's uh, who played alongside Bentancur. Bentancur, Torreira, Valverde. That's a good midfield. Uh, obviously, Suarez is past his best. He only came as a sub. Cavani, can he still do it at the very, very top level? I'm not so sure he's the player he was. Uh, so Uruguay do okay at the World Cup, but they're not going to. They're not going to pull not up any win trees. It. They're not going to pull up any trees. I don't think. Uh, come the end of the, uh, the the World Cup. Now Everton recalled a whopping loss of 120 million pounds, bringing their total losses over the last three seasons to more than 300 million. Gab, considering they also have a new stadium to uh, pay for, this is a tough spot to be in, isn't it? Yeah, it's a tough spot to be in. Uh, obviously, the pandemic had something to do with it mm. as well. Uh, but when you also consider that, you know, they're not that far from the relegation spots, mm. uh, there's a lack of, there's a real anger and a lack of faith, I think, from the fan base mm. in the club right now. And on top of that, um, Alisher Uzmanov, who, he doesn't own the club mm. officially, but his companies sponsor things. He's under sanctions mm. as well. Um, so I think at some point, you know, you're facing a real difficulty mm. In terms of in terms of cash flow, it's a really really um, 
it's a really tough position to be in. Um, and I think it just shows how they made kind of wrong choice after wrong choice um, since Moshiri really took over the mm -hmm. club. El Mundo Deportivo in Catalonia reporting that David Beckham would love to bring a quartet of Barcelona players and former Barcelona players to enter Miami over the next two years. We're talking Luis Suarez. No, it's not Oscar Mingueza, in case you were wondering. It's oh. Luis Suarez, of course, now at Atletico Madrid, Jordi Alba, Sergi Busquets, and somebody named Lionel Messi, obviously at Paris Saint-Germain now. That would be something, Robbo. It certainly would be. And having seen Inter Miami play in recent times, they need some quality coming into their side. But yeah, what a, what a great investment that would be in those four players. Yeah, I, I, I kind of... Great for MLS, great for David Beckham's profile. Again, not quite so good for Phil Neville, I don't think. I think he must be on the end of his, uh, end of his reign there. I, I love this story. I, I really wonder how this story came out. Like, first of all, obviously, David Beckham is a part owner. He yes. doesn't run into Miami on his own. It's not his club. He can't do. But also, I genuinely think Jordi Alba definitely has more to give yes. over the next couple of years. I mean, I think he's, he's rejuvenated and so mm -hmm. on. We're not talking about somebody who's 35 years old. Busquets, phenomenal player, but this is still MLS. you got to mm -hmm. get butts and seats. Mm -hmm. I, while we all love and appreciate Sergi Busquets, is he really the guy who's going to sell no. MLS to people? No, I think he. I think he would. Well, he's, I, a, he's a you know apart a, from like tactical fetishes like a, yourself. He's a World Cup winner. He's but he's, he's not exciting to watch. Well, I suppose not. I mean, maybe for you, but um, Suarez, I think, is doable. I think honestly, if he reaches a deal on, in, on his salary, and they want him and he wants mm. to go, he can go this summer. Yeah, yeah. Even and um, and well, Messi, you know, well, he can still do overhead gonna, kicks, can't he, Suarez? Phenomenal overhead quick mm. from uh, uh, from Luis Suarez uh, in in their win against Chile. So Messi, obviously the big one. He said he's going to evaluate things after mm. after the World Cup. So we'll see. Got to be better than playing for PSG. Now reports in Russia say the Russian FA are considering leaving UEFA to join the Asian Football Confederation. What's all this about, Gab? So my first instinct is that this is a little bit like when they get all trolly, when they said like, you know, whoa, well, oh, we're going to bid for Euro 2028 and Euro 2032. Ha <laughs> ha. Um, the idea is that obviously in Europe, there's mm. a ton of opposition for political reasons to, to, to Russia uh, because of the, uh, the invasion in Ukraine. Um, in Asia, meh, not so much. You've got a bunch of stands who are former Soviet republics. Mm. Some of them get along with them. Some of them less so. You have China, who's obviously an important yep. trading partner. Um, there's still a lot of money in the Asian Football Confederation. I mean, arguably, probably the second wealthiest mm. in terms of you know, rich people mm. living there. Um, and so maybe they could be allowed back into world football quicker if they were in the AFC. I'm not sure about that. I mean, first of all, there's the FIFA ban. There yeah. could be subsequent UEFA bans. Um, they talked about this recently about whether would it be fair, you know, once the FIFA ban runs out, which hopefully it will one day because there will be peace in Ukraine, mm. um, it's not clear that Ukrainian teams will be able to play straight away because there will be a lot of rebuilding of to course, do. Yeah. Like, would it be fair if Ukrainian teams, or sorry, if Russian teams are allowed back into European competition before Ukrainian teams are? Well, it would because, be fair, would it? Sorry? It wouldn't be fair, would it? Uh, it doesn't seem fair to me. But um, so, yeah, so I think this is all this is all paper talk, but it tells you about kind of the, the politicking and stuff that's going on uh, in uh, in the back. Will it happen? Yes or no? I don't think no, so. Okay. I don't think so. All right. That brings us to an end, Robbo. But did you have fun? I always have fun when I'm on with you, Gav. Awesome. I had so much fun that how about we come back on Monday yes, yeah. and do this all over again? Uh, it would be an absolute pleasure. Uh, actually, I'm having you back on Monday because Jules is still away, but 
Uh, no disrespect. Uh, we're going to have a great time because it's a full weekend of European football and the Champions League is back. So uh, join us again on Monday. Until then, love the game, love your neighbor, love yourself. 